Welcome to the Side Hustle Project, a podcast where we explore the nitty-gritty details behind what it takes to start and grow a profitable side hustle. I'm your host, Ryan Robinson. In this podcast, I'm bringing you interviews with entrepreneurs, best-selling authors, CEOs, investors, and people just like you who are building and profiting from interesting side hustles. In today's episode, we're talking to Olaf Matei, the co-founder and CEO at Mixmax, a suite of email-related tools including email tracking, one-click meeting scheduling, interactive surveys, and more that are all designed to help you be more effective with outbound emailing. Having spent much of his time growing up in Sweden, Olaf came back to the U.S. as a young adult and worked at McKinsey, the famed business consulting group. And eventually he made the move to San Francisco to immerse himself in the world of technology startups where he had a strong area of interest. And his first job in the Bay Area was working at Skype as a product manager. After a couple of years, Olaf left to build his own startup called Inkling Habitat, which created a product that was like Google Docs for publishing companies before Google Docs actually existed. And eventually in 2014, Olaf left that company to found Mixmax and begin working full-time on what was the solution to a problem he and his co-founders have been wanting to solve for a long time. That was making business email easier and more user-friendly. In this episode, Olaf and I talk about how he transitioned from a career working in business consulting to joining Skype in its prime startup days. We dig into the very early days of Mixmax, including what the MVP of their product looked like, how they scored an early launch on Product Hunt, and the growth strategies they've used to grow all the way up to 10,000 plus paying customers. We cover Olaf's best piece of advice for anyone who wants to build a SaaS business on the side of their day jobs, some of his biggest failures over the years, and the best investment he's ever made. As always, you can find everything we mentioned in today's episode in the show notes at ryrob.com slash podcast. That's spelled R-Y-R-O-B dot com slash podcast. Let's get into today's interview with Olaf Matei. Olaf, welcome to the show. Uh, thanks so much, Ryan. Good to be here. I want to start this off with the first question that I've been asking all of my guests here on the show. So, Olaf, what book are you reading right now or what's been your favorite recently? Uh, the book I've been reading right now is actually, there's a series by, I think it's Oxford University Press called A Short Introduction to, and it introduces, you know, any type of topic in like 60 pages. And this was A Short Introduction to the Conquistadors. And so it talks about the Spanish conquest of uh, Central and South America. And it basically debunks everything you thought you knew about it. And since it does that, it's just so fascinating. Wow. Yes, this does sound fascinating. This sounds right up my alley too. I'm going to add this to my own personal list. I got to check out this series. Yep. It's a fun, fun series overall. Just whatever the topic, get a short introduction to it. It's kind of like, uh, yeah, it's bite-sized. I love it. All right. Well, we're here not today to talk about conquistadors, but we're here to talk about you and all of the fun things you've done. (laughs) Nice. Excited. So, Olaf, you've done a lot of different things over the years. Um, I want to go back to sort of your earlier formative days. And let's start that off by um, talking about where you're from originally. Um, so I was born in the U.S., but mainly grew up in Sweden. And I moved back to the U.S. almost uh, 10 years ago now. Wow. What brought you back? Uh, ennui. Uh, no, but uh, seriously, I think it was a... Uh, I had always kind of wanted to uh, spend a little bit of time in the U.S. And then I just got sucked in. 
And at least when I moved here, the U.S. felt like a much better place to start a company than Sweden, although uh, things have changed there quite a bit. Very interesting. So did you come back and immediately start a company? Did you have something that you were kind of working on at the time you came back? Or did you just jump back here because you wanted to sort of immerse yourself in that environment you thought it'd be a better place? Oh, I think my personal trajectory was like uh, very like indirect and long. I'd actually uh, had two startups in Sweden before moving out, uh, one which uh, wasn't very successful, mainly because we didn't have the right founding team. So that was a really good learning for me personally. And the second, which was it's a moderately successful. And so moving out here, I uh, actually was like very far removed from startups. I ended up working at McKinsey, New York uh, as a consultant. And the reason and I did that was moving to a new country, you are nobody unless you have some kind of professional credentials. And that was just a great way to get kind of a network and do kind of a live, live MBA. So that's where I ended up initially. And then I kind of parlayed that into, into eventually moving out to San Francisco. But that was my initial stepping stone. So it uh, might be a little bit unexpected to your listeners. Yeah. How did you, so I'm personally familiar with McKinsey, um, McKinsey rather, but how did you land that job there? I know that that's an extremely competitive company to get a job at. Uh, Yeah, yeah, it is. The interview uh, process is very, very rigorous and inspiring actually. But uh, the way I did that was I actually started by well, I actually got the job in the McKinsey Stockholm office first. And then shortly after landing that job, I parlayed that into a into transfer to New York. And, and that was, I think, one way, the one way I could get that job. Because otherwise, in McKinsey, New York, you have to have, you know, some pristine MBA from some, you know, high status school, which obviously I didn't have. But that was my way to get that job. So you said eventually um, you come out to San Francisco, which is where you are now today. So what brought you out to San Francisco? Did you land a job immediately or did you come out to start working on a new project of your own? I, uh, well, that was actually just, I just wanted to immerse myself in tech. That was when tech was still the good guy in San Francisco. <laughs> uh, tech has a vastly different reputation now than it did, you know, seven, eight years ago, uh, which is kind of funny to think about. Um, but uh, I just wanted to be closer to where everything happened. And having a tech company in Sweden before, San Francisco felt like the right place to do it. Uh, the New York tech ecosystem around, you know, 2010 was like just getting started, but it was nothing like what San Francisco had to offer. And so I started out with a job at uh, Skype since I've always uh, just been really passionate about communications technology and and different ways in which communication can help us communicate. Mm -hmm. I love that. And I can tell that that's been sort of a a cohesive theme across all the different projects you've worked on. Um, And I want to ask you about one of your tools that that I know is probably one of your more um, first, more widely known products that you worked on called Inkling Habitat. Um, does this take us back in time before Skype, before McKinsey, or is this one of the products you? Oh, uh, uh, that actually takes us back to our time right before Mixmax. Uh, that is, or was the startup where I met my co-founders. Uh, so this was after Skype. Uh, so basically, what we did there, we built what uh, you can kind of think of as Google Docs, but for the publishing industry. So today, the publishing industry mainly works off of, you know, Microsoft Word and a lot of manual processes and Adobe InDesign to lay out books. But this was a full end-to-end kind of workflow solution for publishers that make academic textbooks or coffee table books or, or the like. And philosophically, actually, there's some kind of common threads between uh, 
that product of what we do at MixMax today. In that what we did when we kind of built this Google Docs for the publishing industry was all about, hey, how can you do like interactive quizzes inside of digital textbooks and how can you, you know, make these books more expressive to drive better learning outcomes. And a lot of that underlying philosophy we've kind of reused or kind of repurposed in the context of just how we communicate at work. So what eventually ended up happening with Inkling? Uh, Inkling actually recently sold uh, to a company just a couple of months ago, but uh, I haven't kept track of kind of the, the details of it. At what point in time did you leave then? Uh, well, now it's going to be more than three years ago since we left. But um, actually, incidentally, we as co-founders, to, to tie this back to MixMix, we were product design and engineering leads there of Inkling Habitat. And so we worked together there for like two and a half years before before creating MixMix. All right. So most of our listeners here today are already familiar with MixMax, um, which is the company that you're the CEO of. Um, you guys have a suite of tools, email tracking, scheduling surveys, and more, all kind of with this goal of helping people be more effective with outbound emailing. Does that sound like the right description? Yeah, I'd say we're, we're reinventing email for business. So, uh, and what we do is we help people, whether you're in sales, success, or recruiting, we help you sell, succeed, and hire better. So if you think about email as a medium, it literally hasn't changed in 20 years. And so when it comes to kind of emailing in a social context, you know, that's largely been superseded by texting and messenger and what have you. Email in a professional context is still 100% ubiquitous and always will be because it's kind of the default channel you use to communicate across organizational boundaries. But now the problem with email is that it was kind of never built for that specific use case. And so that's what we do. And that's where we get really excited to, to see kind of our customers be successful deploying MixMax across all of their kind of customer-facing roles. Was there an original sort of specific first problem or a use case that really inspired you guys to start working on MixMax way back in the very early days? Uh, yes. So the very, uh, very early one was, and I'll share how this kind of ties deeper to like the philosophical ethos and mission of the company. But the very first thing was just this frustration with, you know, one of the very common workflows you have when you chat to someone you're not necessarily connected with, but perhaps you're chatting to them to set up a podcast or, you know, do a sales deal or because you want to recruit them is, Hey, let's set up time to meet. And typically, the way that works in the pre-MixMax world is, you know, you exchange 15 messages back and forth, you notice 4.30 work, no, it doesn't, what about 3.30, etc. With MixMax, in a keystroke, you just embed available times from your calendar, your recipient taps on one of the times, and the meeting's automatically set up. So there's zero back and forth, and it's a one-click interaction. And, you know, what that prior state looks like was really what kind of frustrated us. And since then, we've extended that to so many other interactions, be it embedding surveys or polls or embedding videos or GIFs or literally superpowering your messages so that they you know, feel just as amazing as you know, a web or a mobile app. Now, at the time that you guys launched MixMax, was it sort of overlaid on Gmail kind of the way it is now or was it some sort of other format? Uh, we've always sat on top of uh, your email and your CRM or your ATS. And part of the reason for that is you know, very conscious product strategy on our end. So A, really wanted to just build something that would be really fast to build that people would get instant value of. And we didn't want to force people to learn about a new product. There's so many amazing products that kind of force uh, that... that uh, um, in a way, kind of force themselves on you, or they force you to, you know, 
have another tab or be another app on your home screen. And we just wanted to integrate with your existing workflow so that you can get all the magic without really having to, to fundamentally rejigger how you do work. I like that. That's very smart. I wish more uh, people would take your cue on that one. Yeah, it's interesting because there's there's so many different ways to do this too, right? Almost any CRM or ATS, they're like ubiquitous products for business processes. Some of these kind of have app stores, uh, but there's a lot of innovation to be done there. Even something as boring as like ERP, so like NetSuite or Intuit or QuickBooks. And there are a lot of ways you can improve what people try to do on top of that. And then, of course, build like independent products. So I think there's a ton of innovation here still to happen. Do you remember the first paying customer that you actually had using MixMax? Oh, wow. I really should. Whoever that is, is going to, you know, you're, this is reflecting poorly on me that I don't. Uh, <laughs> I, I really don't. The, the funny story about that is um, we were in private beta for a couple of months. It was just like, you know, friends or people randomly in our network who were giving us feedback on it. Then we decided to launch. Um, and um, when we launched kind of literally the night before, we put up a pricing page. And so we had all these tiers on the pricing page. And uh, the interesting thing with that, we actually didn't have time to build feature gates into the product for launch. So uh, the very first people who bought ended up buying plans for which there was no differentiation in the product. And then a week later, we got the feature gates up. But uh, at least, uh, yeah, that's how we went about it initially. Wow, that's really funny. Um, so, so at this point in time, when you launch, um, you said basically the night before you're putting together your pricing page, um, and I love what your focus was actually on, right? Like that, that, that to me tells me that you guys weren't concerned with making a ton of money the day you launch. You're sort of working on the actual product, making it sure it's something that people actually use once they sign up. Um, so, kind of digging into that a little bit more, um, what did early users of Mixmax say that they liked? most about the product? I think there was very clear, very clear part of the value of the prop was instant scheduling, just since it's such a pain point and literally it saves you hours, uh, if not every day, at least every week. So that was a very clear uh, item people liked. Then there were perhaps one or two kind of vanilla features that weren't that differentiated that people liked. Uh, people really liked our email tracking, which which, by the way, is actually pretty groundbreaking now in that we're the only product that can tell you if you send a message to multiple people who opened the message, which is, which is pretty cool. Uh, but I think another thing people liked was kind of almost an intangible, and that was a little bit kind of the experiential aspect of using the product. Uh, and so one thing we did really early was that whenever you put in a link inside of a Mixmax email, we would kind of unfurl that link similar to what Slack does now and show you a visual preview of what that web page looks like. Uh, and so that was an example of a feature that a lot of people loved. Uh, and also that actually feature had a lot of detractors too, because it wasn't for everyone. Interesting. So w when you guys launched that first day, that first week, um, maybe even the first month, how were you attracting customers? Was this kind of like a friends and families, grassroots sort of um, movement, or was this something else? So of when we launched, this was this is funny, actually, because Product Hunt was just getting off the ground. And I had met uh, one of the Product Hunt founders at a dinner just a couple of weeks earlier. And then he was like, oh, we have this site where we announce products. And that kind of just determined that we... That was what... Uh, that's how we determined what our launch date was going to be. 
<laughs> so it was just like pure, pure chance in, in that regard. Yeah, yeah, great timing. So we definitely got a set of kind of early, early adopters on the product that way. And I think that's how we got our, our first initial customers. What would you say has been the most effective growth lever for you guys after that initial launch? Uh, so that for us, it, it won't necessarily be something actionable uh, for the audience here, but uh, word of mouth continues to be our strongest, um, uh, our strongest referral source. Um, and I think as I might have uh, mentioned earlier, and this kind of ties back a little bit to that kind of unfurling of links, uh, it's helpful to do something that's a little bit memorable. Uh, and when you do something that's a little bit memorable, it just, I mean, like people will talk about stuff that's more memorable, right? But it also means you're going to get your share of detractors and people who don't like what you do. And so we got a lot of complaints about these, you know, links unfurling and that they were the, you know, the visual of it was too big or didn't look professional, etc. cetera. Uh, we decided to keep that and stick with it because we felt it was core to kind of the philosophy of always showing everything in context and having messages that were really rich. But more importantly, there were also a set of people that absolutely loved this and that were still in our target audience. Um, and so I guess that's perhaps the kind of generic principle uh, I might might offer up to people to, uh, to do something noteworthy. Yeah, I think that's a great takeaway. So fast forwarding yeah. to today with Mixmax, um, how many customers ballpark figure do you guys have or, you know, maybe what your monthly revenue figure looks like? Yeah, we have north of north of 10,000 customers and those are kind of spread out from, you know, companies of uh, that have almost, you know, 200 seats on the product to uh, smaller teams of five, five-ish people. Uh, and what's exciting here is that kind of, any, any function in the company can get a lot of value from Mixmax. So the way we like to think about the product too, we almost like to think about it as kind of successive delight or, you know, you can start using the product even if you don't communicate a ton outside of your organization, but you're just going to get, you know, value from say tracking and calendaring. And if you do a lot of communication outside of your org, say you're in success or recruiting or sales, you're going to use the full suite and discover over time the full suite of kind of automation and campaigns and, and, and templates and more. I like that. So you've kind of designed the product to sort of uh, get inside of an organization and then be easy to spread amongst other sort of teams within the company. Yes, absolutely. Uh, and it goes with kind of that original philosophy that I mentioned of doing something that's very minimal and sits on top of someone else, uh, an existing workflow versus trying to be a, you know, a destination site from the, from the get-go. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So that. that's how we thought about it, at least. All right, Olaf. Well, I want to transition over to a few of my frequently asked questions now. And I've designed these to be intentionally short on my end, but your responses do not need to be equally as so. Shoot. What's your number one piece of advice to someone who wants to build a SaaS product today? Great question. I think that would actually go back to what we said earlier, and that is try to embed yourself in an existing workflow and make it better and perhaps sit upon an existing product. Because if you're sitting on top of NetSuite or QuickBooks, just to take an example, right, you know that's a problem people have. Um, and so you're actually not, you're the kind of product risk you take as an entrepreneur is much, much lower. Now, the challenge you will have down the line is how do you transition your product from being like a nice add-on to being something insanely valuable, 
But typically, once you know your, as you get to know your target customer better, that's like a very solvable problem. I got to say, I love this answer more than any I've ever heard to this question, because I think it's something that's so much more attainable to do as well, right? Like you don't have to build something truly standalone crazy and try and get adoption for it. You go, you go to where people already have existing problems. I love that. Yep. And the beauty of that approach too, right? Since I know a lot of, a lot of you listeners out here might be kind of working on side projects or, or hustling on the side is those type of products are typically much easier to do as uh, side projects too. Okay, my next question for you, how do you go about identifying those opportunities for little you know, optimizations or add-ons that you could um, go out and build? Well, first, first, I think you just have to have a particular like, target customer in mind. Uh, and then, uh, I mean, the one thing, and this kind of goes to a, a little bit to how we think about product development at Mixmax too, which is we rely, I think, kind of philosophically and conceptually much more in qualitative input than quantitative input. And I think that goes for any SaaS product. Uh, unless you're at, you know, Facebook or Twitter scale, perhaps quantitative metrics, uh, you know, actually don't matter as much. Uh, and so you can learn a ton by just sitting down, uh, you know, be it on Zoom or actually in person uh, with be it existing or potential customers and having them show you their workflow and talk, have them talk about their pain points or what they're trying to achieve in general. Do you have any particular strategies, tactics, or ideas that you've tested over the years um, come to mind in particular as being a failure? Oh, that we've tried out that have been failures? Yes, exactly. Uh, God, a ton. I mean, every day has its micro failures, right? Uh, I would say... um, well, I, th- I think the biggest failures are, uh, and perhaps this is going to sound evasive, that's uh, not really the point, but I think the biggest failures are the ones you don't really notice. So it's not to go full Donald Rumsfeld here, but it's the unknown unknowns. So what were the big opportunities that you weren't aware of that were kind of like in in line of sight that you just missed? And, but I guess to kind of answer just straight up, I can think of several product features that we built which were wildly premature and, and kind of didn't work out that we subsequently deprecated. And like embedding surveys and polls in Mixmax is obvious, it's like a big part of the product. We used to have kind of a poll dashboard where you could see and manage all of your polls. That turned out to be wildly premature and not used enough. So we deprecated that. We used to have custom emojis because we thought it was really cool in Slack. It was kind of meaningless to have in the context of Mixmax. Mm-hmm. There are a lot of examples like that. All right, Olaf. Well, this is going to be my last question for you. What's Let's been the it. best investment that you've ever made in the context of growing your business? And this could be in the form of time, money, tools, products, services, or otherwise. So that's got to be growing the team overall. Uh, and I think initially, perhaps we were a little, heard a little bit too much on the side of, you know, we can do everything on our own. Uh, and so there are huge benefits to hiring early, perhaps even a little bit ahead of needs. Uh, if they're in like, if these, you know, roles are in critical functions, be it, you know, sales success, marketing, engineering, design, uh, just because they lift so much off your plate. And so uh, as an entrepreneur, your biggest cost is opportunity cost. And so having people who are domain experts in particular areas and you can help offload uh, offload items that are on your plate uh, just gives you back a ton and uh, and frees up that opportunity cost. That would probably be the biggest, I think, investment. Also, because that investment is also really fun. 
it doesn't actually feel like uh, you know money goes out of the bank account, even though it does. <laughs> well, that's a great answer. Olaf, thank you for being here. Can you tell everyone listening where they can go to learn more about you, Mixmax, and everything you guys are up to? Absolutely. So uh, go on mixmax.com to learn more about the company. If you're interested in positions, we're hiring through the roof for literally every role. So go to mixmax.com slash careers. And if you're interested more in what I'm up to, you can uh, follow me on Twitter and ping me there. I'm at Olafster. Thanks so much. Beautiful. All right, Olaf. Thank you for being here. Thanks, Ryan. Have a good one. If you enjoyed this episode of the Side Hustle Project, I would love your support. Head on over to the Apple Podcasts app and give us a rating. And as always, you can catch every episode of the Side Hustle Project on Apple Podcasts, Stitcher, and wherever you get your podcasts. Thanks for tuning in.